Next up is Grant Ellis, followed by Mo Barbosa, followed by Bob Moses. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to the council for your attention this evening. My name is Grant Ellis. Uh, I live with my family on Long Ave in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, I want to say that I'm a disabled medical cannabis patient. I fell disabled after a surgery went wrong in 2014 and my throat is collapsing. My ability to access medical cannabis has nothing to do with the existing medical dispensaries and their ability to profit has no relationship to my ability to access cannabis because I use a caregiver. Uh, I want to make clear that according to the Boston Globe, just one of the Cambridge dispensaries across all of its locations is projected to make $90 million in revenue next year alone. I also want to pull us back to the 30,000 foot elevation perspective here, which is what are we fundamentally talking about? There's the proposal to give a two year priority period to social uh, uh, empowerment and economic, uh, economic empowerment and social equity applicants. The dispensaries offered uh, a few different compromises uh, to give funds to uh, allow themselves co-equal priority. That priority period reflects the fact that those social equity and economic empowerment applicants suffered for decades at the hands of the drug war, which caused their communities to suffer. And this is a way that it can be made up to them. To give that co-equal priority to dispensaries for a monetary amount on its face doesn't seem like the best idea, but now, that we've been told by the city solicitor that it seems that these contributions may not even be legal, you have to look what's at stake here. If you can't help these uh, social equity and economic empowerment applicants through that kind of fund, if you can't even force these medical dispensaries to remain medical dispensaries rather than selling off to some multinational conglomerate, then what can you offer them? You can offer them that two-year priority period. You can at least give them a chance to get a foothold in the market to compete against these monopolized corporate cannabis dispensaries. If you don't, they're going to take over the market, funds or otherwise. They're going to corner the market, obtain the best locations, and undermine accessibility and equality in the pursuit of their own profit. And furthermore, the most, uh, the most difficult aspect of this process has been the fact that this priority period is all you can offer these applicants. Throughout this entire process, the dispensaries have put forward their monetary contributions as a justification for getting a leg up, what amounts to a leg up. It's absolutely inappropriate and not something that the city should endorse. Uh, I would also say that the uh, inability of the city to mandate, if the fund is done on a voluntary basis, the inability of the city to mandate that it be uh, overseen by a nonprofit would be hugely problematic. The dispensaries can't oversee the fund. And uh, finally, uh, the, uh, the uh, dedicated levy on the 6% local tax, regardless as to whether or not there's a compromise, should go forward, fund this program, and go forward with the two-year moratorium. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much. If we could keep the enthusiasm down, I'd appreciate it. Mo Barbosa followed by Bob Moses. Hi, it's Mike Crawford. Welcome to the Young Jerks podcast. This episode features testimony from a Cambridge City Ordinance hearing proposing a moratorium, a two-year moratorium on existing medical cannabis dispensaries from going recreational to give economic empowerment a chance, an opportunity 
to come to this market in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We got a lot of testimony. We're going to feature a lot of testimony. Uh, we opened up with Grant Smith, Grant Ellis. We also have uh, testimony that we're going to share right now. The next clip is going to be from the attorneys representing the dispensaries who aren't happy that they might have to wait a couple of years to go recreational. These are existing medical cannabis dispensaries that have had a leg up all across the state in going recreational. They've got deep pockets. They're funded by big money and economic empowerment want the opportunity to get into the market. Uh, these existing dispensaries have a four-year head start. So tonight, we're featuring testimony from the hearing. And uh, as we said, we start off with Grant Ellis. Uh, we're going to feature the attorney for the dispensaries arguing, uh, you know, basically throwing down, threatening the city of Cambridge with a lawsuit if they don't get their way. And so far, they haven't gotten their way. Uh, this meeting uh, was featured public testimony. It featured uh, basically the solicitor of Cambridge uh, letting the city council know that uh, funding economic empowerment from city funds may not actually be legal. So it's very interesting. Uh, the two-year moratorium something these big dispensaries definitely do not want. Uh, we're going to hear a testimony from uh, Cannabis Control Commissioner Shaleen Title as well. But after this uh, attorney, the attorney representing the dispensaries, threatens the city of Cambridge, we're also going to feature uh, some testimony uh, from the other side, from the economic empowerment. And we're going to uh, go to the most heated part of it, uh, where uh, this one gentleman... Uh, called the Simmons proposal a slave amendment. Uh, yeah, you heard that right, a slave amendment. So it did get a little heated. We're going to uh, let the testimony speak for itself. Here we go. Stick around. Lots of testimony from a lot of different people supporting economic empowerment in Cambridge, supporting a two-year mor uh, moratorium on existing dispensaries, medical dispensaries, from going recreational. Uh, the city council on this evening... Decided to punt till September. They haven't made any decisions. It's uh, something that's going to be debated uh, for quite a while going to, into the fall now. So we'll see what happens in the city of Cambridge. We're going to continue to cover and follow this. If you like this, if you support what we're doing, please do subscribe. Share it with your friends. And uh, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you very much. Mike Crawford. Here we go. Uh, good evening, Mr. Chairman, and through you to the Ordinance Committee, uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak this evening. My name again is Zachary Burke. I'm a partner at the law firm of Saul Ewing, Arnstein, and Lair in Boston. Um, and as I've stated here before, I represent three of the existing medical marijuana treatment centers or RMDs currently operating in Cambridge. Um, first, I want to thank you all for your thoughtful consideration of this issue. Uh, there's no doubt you've been careful and deliberate in considering what the cannabis ordinance should look like to ensure it benefits the, the city of Cambridge and its residents. Now, with that said, I want to emphasize how critical it is that the ordinance is voted on tonight. 
All of the parties involved here, the RMDs and EE applicants, are harmed by continued delay. In addition, the residents of Cambridge, who overwhelmingly voted for adult use legalization, deserve to have these businesses up and running as consumers and taxpayers. The Attorney General has said that ordinances should have been adopted by December 31st, 2018. My clients have been patient in letting this process play out. And again, appreciate your diligence, but if nothing gets voted on tonight, they'll be left with no choice but to consider immediate legal action to get their licenses converted. Now, with all due respect to the solicitor, I want to reiterate that the two-year moratorium is clearly illegal and, if passed, will be challenged in court. By way of example, the CCC regulations clearly state that RMDs and EE applicants are, their applications are to be considered on a one-for-one -one basis. Now, the good news is, Councillor Simmons has offered a framework that works for everyone here. As the city solicitor recognized in today's letter, RMDs are permitted to make voluntary donations. And I want to assure you that my clients are willing to do that and attest to their willingness, willingness to do that, as they've already done under the penalties of perjury with regard to committing to serve medical use customers in the future, so long as this is within the parameters of Councillor, Councillor Simmons' proposal. We will work with the EEAs to get it done in a legally enforceable way. We have a framework before you tonight in the Simmons Amendment that's thoughtful and beneficial to everyone. Therefore, I urge you on behalf of my clients to vote in favor of some version of that ordinance this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much. If okay, it was negotiated by the slave masters. That's what it was. $250,000 is like giving us a tip. That's what that is. Let's talk a little bit more about what we know here. And all of the counselors know this because not only have I told you this, but you could read it. The Cambridge Day has talked about it in different places. We, the, the Zondaran Amendment, Siddiqui Amendment, gives EEs more money, more opportunity to close the gap with first mover advantage, and more leverage to equal the playing field. So if an EE comes up here and says they don't want more money to open their business, or they don't want to even the gap around first mover advantage, it's because they're compromised. And the pretty little secret is, you all know it. You know the lawyer for this one is the E applicant for this one. You know what Taba said is absolutely true. You all know that there are people who are compromised, and you're trying to play the game of divide and conquer. Let the colored people fight with the colored people because they don't know what they want. We know what we want. We know what we want. We want equity, and we want equity in cannabis now. We want you to tell the voters when you go and knock on their doors, don't lie to them. Tell them that you didn't vote for this this amendment because you want it to get marijuana moving quickly. Marijuana is going to happen. Cannabis will happen no matter what. You can't go back if you mess this up. That amendment does not give you enough money to start a coffee shop, a cupcake stand. And we know this. All right. You have a billion dollar industry where we know some of these stores will make this money back in six months. And we're acting as if they're poor. We're acting as if we're going to the spare change people and asking for a loan. The money in this business is different, and we need to make sure that it's commensurate with the first move advantage that they get. You know what it is if I could get two cannabis licenses for the short money, $5 million? Of course I'd do that. They'd do it all over the country if they could do that. And that's the, that's, the, that's the dirty little secret that you know. No one in this room, none of the medicals could ever say that given one entity, 25% of the licenses is fair. 
One entity is going to have two licenses. If you give them all and let them roll over, they'll have 60% of all of the cannabis licenses in the city. That's equitable? I want to hear you knocking the doors on the port and say that's equitable. Because that's a lie. You all know that they're compromised. You know they are. You're not guessing. You know they are. You know he's a lawyer for this one. Yes, he applicant. You know this. And you're complicit in this complication. And this is why we're standing up today for equity in cannabis. Last thing. We are not going away. They say they'll sue, we'll sue. We got the best attorneys going. The best attorneys going. It's not that they're the only ones that can sue. You have to watch what's happening. And the scariest part of this is you know what's going on. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, I wasn't planning on speaking, but um, hearing the conversation here tonight, I felt compelled. I was reminded when I was in these chambers just a few Months ago, maybe even a year ago. Sure, Khadija Tribble from Salem, Massachusetts. Um, Here to talk to you guys about the work that I did at the Kennedy School around social equity. And one of the things that I'm struck by here tonight in the conversation is um, a loss of what equity is all about. Equity is not about whether the RMDs can pay $5 million or should volunteer to give that money. Equity is about actually looking at the least of your residents and doing what's right for them. Um, I actually uh, remember doing some research and earlier this year, I understand that um, the mayor and you counselors embarked on a conversation called Dig Deep Cambridge. And in there, I wanted to read what it said. It said that these conversations were to encourage community to live up to its values and to move us closer to realizing our vision of a truly just and equitable Cambridge. And I just want to remind that you guys have the right to seek that out in your legislative process. And with all due respect to the solicitor, nothing progressive and equitable has come without risk. So I ask you, if you're not willing to risk for the vote, for the most vulnerable, for those that have been most damaged and harmed by the war on drugs, then who are you willing to take the risk for? And so I think to consider two years of prioritizing EEs and SEs is the least of what you could do. And I also think if you're serious about equity and access to opportunities and ensuring equity and outcomes, that you're going to look beyond just the two-year prioritization of SEs and EEs, that you'll look to make sure that fees and tax revenues go to support those communities disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs. And I also think that you can go a step further in pushing yourselves as legislators to find out what are the ways in which you can ensure that the outcomes for equity are actually realized in the city. Because we've seen in California, we've even seen in the state where the laws are really good, but the outcomes are not so good. And I think that you guys have an opportunity to do that. And I've spoken to people in this room, people on this council, and I'll say it publicly, the nation is watching. If we can get this right in the most progressive city in the country, then it is hope for what we can do in other parts of the country. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else, anyone else who hasn't spoken that would like to speak? Introduce yourself, please, and you have three minutes. 
Thank you. Uh, good evening. My name is Shaleen Title. Um, I'm here in my personal capacity. I live in Malden. I previously lived in Cambridge. Um, and I'm an expert on this subject because I serve on the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission. I like all of the proposals in front of you. Um, I, I have said many times that I really admire the thoughtful uh, and careful approach that you've taken. I do want to make a, a few important substantive points. One, um, just a reminder that the idea of an exclusive period for economic empowerment applicants is explicitly contemplated in Cannabis Control Commission guidance. Um, I saw guidance uh, from our commission cited in uh, the opinion discussed tonight, so I want to make sure I mention that. Um, I sat through five hours of very moving testimony earlier today um, that the commission held. We heard from a lot of small businesses, equity applicants, economic empowerment applicants, and I came away with the feeling that um, 24 months is a very short period of time. Uh, what I want to impart upon you is that when we were considering all of the same um, legal questions and moral questions that you are, um, we decided to set a period of 24 months, but at the end of that time, set very clear criteria that will be evaluated uh, to see whether the goals of that exclusivity period have been met, because this is very unpredictable, what could happen in 24 months, and maybe nothing. So. Um, that criteria is in our draft regulations. I would take a look at um, different ways you can measure whether you're meeting your goals and plan if you do have such a period at the end uh, to evaluate that and decide whether you want the period to continue. I'd also note um, the part of the law that governs host community agreements looks very clear in terms of the limits. The real world conditions are very different. I personally have chosen to abstain from votes on licenses that I feel go beyond the law in terms of host community agreements, and that has ended up being the vast majority of them, I think about 75% so far. Um, and so I would consider what advice other cities and towns are getting and what they're doing as you make your decision. Um, and I, I just really sympathize and empathize with um, all of your very clear intention to help these businesses um, and, and to get um, opinions where it's, it's, it's really hard to know what to do next. So I, I don't have a solution to that, but I just, um, I empathize and I, I thank you for your work and um, encourage you to keep looking at innovative solutions like the Simmons Amendment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else who hasn't? Five medical right now are not owned by anybody of color. Equity was not legislated, and that's the result that we got. There are 5,000 liquor licenses in Cambridge, one owned by a black man, by a black person, sorry. One out of 5,000. Equity was not legislated, and we got that result. You have the chance right now to do something different. I stood in this very room. I've stood in this building. I stood outside when Cambridge dared to be different and more progressive. Some of y'all might have been here that night when folks got married outside right here, this city hall. We were different. We were willing to be sued. We were willing to take on the laws that made inequitable things that were impossible to 
continue to tolerate. So we should really um, think about what is possible beyond what other folks have already done. That cannot be the measure of who we are. It has never been the measure of who we are. All right, so I just want to put that out front. Um, if you do nothing else, at the very least a one-to-one -one rollout, at the very least a one-to-one -one rollout, all right? That means that you would have a, an EE rollout with a RMD4 um, rec. That would at least allow entry into the market. What you're doing right now, or if, if things go forward as they are, is giving a four-year head start to folks who were already given a head start with the original legislation. I'm going to ask you to also really strongly consider the provisions in the Siddiqui Zondervan uh, amendment because creating that fund, however it's run, and I'm sure the Cambridge Community Foundation would be happy to run it for you. Um, however the dollars go into it, we find a way when we're talking about things in Kendall Square, we find a way to allow city dollars or city derived dollars or city put through dollars or city affected dollars to support the development of those industries, we can find a way to make it support these industries. And as city councils, I'll ask you to ensure that when you're asking city department folks for what is, how things are done, you're not asking them for what can't happen, you're asking them for how to make it happen. And I would ask you to ensure that the city solicitor's office and the city manager's office give you the tools for what you dictate as vision, because that's your role, is to set the vision and these folks can help you to make that happen thank you and i yield my time to the distinguished gentleman from the port thank you very much uh, bob moses followed by peter valentine if he wishes to speak followed by it looks like steve solari from 91 park ave um, to the members of the city council a full disclosure, I'm Robert Moses, Bob Moses. I live at 73 School Street in Cambridge. A full disclosure, I'm here on behalf of my son, uh, Taba Moses, and the amendment to Siddiqui Zondervan Amendment. But what I wanted to do was uh, put this in its historical context. And... Um, you guys are up against the fundamental fault line of American democracy, uh, which I can describe this way. Um, it's a democracy which has normalized opportunity for its constitutional people and refused to provide structured opportunity for its constitutional rejects. <clears throat> so in the first constitutional era from 1787 to 1865, we had two sets of constitutional people. The preamble, which outlines the people who own the Constitution. And then Article 4, Section 2, Paragraph 3, Constitutional Property, Africans who are property of 
the members of the constitutional people class. But they are our first set of undocumented people and the country will go to war over the question of their documentation. And they spend their lives trying to be documented by insurgent runaways. That constitutional era ends with a war and the second constitutional era begins and you should look up circular 3591. Attorney General Biddle put that circular forward on December 12, 1941, because President Roosevelt now needed young black men. And he instructed his attorney general to stop rounding them up for uh, not having any work and instead order the state prosecuting attorneys to prosecute as indentured servitude. Mr. Moses, I'm, I'm afraid your time is up unless someone moves to suspend to move to allow the speaker one more minute. So please continue. So Conant, James Conant, in 1961, he wrote a book called Slums and Suburbs. He had been president of Harvard. What he said was that the country was running a tight caste system through its educational system. And then you should look up wisdom, Judge Wisdom, in December 1963 in the U.S. v. Louisiana, in which he said that from 1875 right down to 1963, the southern wing of the National Democratic Party was the manifestation of the will to white supremacy. So in the first constitutional era, you did not lock up enslaved Africans. In the second, African-Americans were put to work. In our constitutional era, we have mass incarceration because there is no work for them. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next up, if he wishes to speak, is Peter Valentine, followed by Steve Solari, followed by, it looks like Malaka Moses. Uh, Peter Valentine, 37 Brookline Street. I wish to speak because this is the United States of America and it's gonna stay the United States of America forever. Uh, very short statement. Other than using marijuana for medical reasons, I've heard nothing about a person being required to take a test to indicate whether a person has the maturity to use marijuana in a mature, responsible way. Thank you very much. Next up is Steve Solari, followed by Malika Moses, followed by Dr. Denise Valente. Thank you, Councilor Kelly. Good evening, City Council. How you doing? Uh, my name is Steve Solari of 91 Park Ave. I've been a uh, Cambridge resident for 33 years and a taxpayer for the last 23. Thank you all very much for taking on this uh, important issue. I'm a big proponent of legalized marijuana. It's been a long time coming, right, with the state dragging their feet for so long. 
Um, and I just want to make three important points real quickly. One is I'm all about the nonprofit fund. You guys can figure it out, right? You're all smart people. We did it to the Kendall Square group, as uh, Mo Barbosa mentioned. We can do it for this group. Somebody mentioned that they weren't happy coming in with a license to pay 3% to a community fund or what have you. Well, they're going to be very happy making a lot of money over the next several years, right? So as, a, as the treasurer of Cambridge Community Television and on the board of um, Cambridge um, uh, excuse me, Com Community Arts Center for the last 20-something years, I fully support nonprofits trying to make some money off of this boom that, the, uh, that these guys are going to have. The second point is I really think we should have a point system for community payback, right? As we were talking about, uh, Boston has one, Somerville has one, and if you read in the actual wording of the law, it says anticipation of this scrutiny, meaning community uh, involvement. Applications should include as much detail as available on the company's plan for positive impact as well as diversity plan, including qualitative and quantitative um, explanations of the plan. Information applied to the commission should outline specifically how plans will assist communities of disproportionate impact. So that to me sounds like a point system, right? Right from the law. The last point I want to make is anybody on the council that has been friends for decades or family or has relations or takes money from any of these applicants certainly should recuse themselves from this process and not be voting on who these applicants should be. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next up is Malika Moses. The market will be comprised of five medicinal farms and potentially eight new retail shops. The question at hand is how will these eight licenses be distributed within my city? It's my city too because I was born and raised in Cambridge. I took my K-12 education to Spelman in Atlanta and Babson College in Wellesley where I earned my MBA. After graduation, I worked for Fleet Boston and Bank of America. Under the leadership of Gail Snowden, who was responsible for the bank's CRA rating, we used the full power of the bank's resources to help create wealth within minority and poor communities. The CRA, the Community Reinvestment Act, is a federal law that requires banks to direct resources to communities that were historically discriminated against by banking institutions. It's an attempt to correct the wrongdoings of the past. Because of my experience with the bank, I understand the power of the Zondervan Siddiqui Amendment. It is a neighborhood reinvestment act that will require the cannabis industry in the city to help build wealth in communities whose most valuable assets, teens and young adults, did not achieve their full potential as a result of the war on drugs and the gross miseducation of working class and minority children who get tracked for failure in Cambridge's public schools. I support the amendment because it is an opportunity for Cambridge to achieve four objectives create long-term value for officers and shareholders of publicly traded companies that are operating medicinal dispensaries and are eager to open retail venues. And I understand that none of these companies was founded by a Cambridge resident. Two, increase the city's revenue. Three, create long-term value for, for the community through performance-based startup capital for emerging entrepreneurs who reside in Cambridge. And four, generate annual residual income for community programs to the tune of 1% of the combined gross revenue of all cannabis companies in Cambridge. Based on a forecast of one to two million in revenue per month at full tilt, that 1% could provide under two million a year to fund programs and businesses that uplift families impacted by the war on drugs. We need to work strategically to hold cannabis companies accountable in the same way 
that banks have been held accountable through the CRA for the past 42 years. In the time of Elizabeth Warren, Ayanna Presley, and Rachel Rollins, in these times when women, in Mass when women and leaders in Massachusetts are standing up for change, we're calling on you, Councillor Simmons, and anyone else who wants to stand up for economic justice to support the Zondervan Siddiqui Amendment, which is a bold neighborhood reinvestment act. We should not pay lip service to Martin Luther King's dream. He was murdered while fighting for economic justice for poor people of all backgrounds. Let's honor King through right action. Now is the time to create wealth, not only for Wall Street executives and their shareholders, but also for Main Street businesses and neighborhood residents. Thank you for the opportunity to share my perspective. Thank you very much. Good evening, Honorable Mayor McGovern, Honorable Council people, Honorable Commissioner, esteemed friends and colleagues. My name is Samir Kapasi. I grew up working over Inman Square in my parents' restaurant as a busboy and waiter. And now I'm a physician practicing rehabilitation medicine and in particular pain medicine over at Mount Auburn Hospital. I've been there for the last five years and daily I see what the opiate epidemic has done to our community. We have relied on escalating doses of medication in the hopes that maybe a stronger opiate will help even though the weaker one only worked temporarily, only to drop patients off the wagon when there was nothing else that could be done. We thought maybe you should knock on someone else's door to get your medication. Since starting my practice, I've weaned so many of these patients off medications completely, only to find that their pain actually improved after this. I've also seen so many of my patients progress through various forms of cannabis, whether THC or CBD heavy. I've seen how this plant has changed lives, changed seizure thresholds, spasticity, and managed chronic pain. And I can honestly say it isn't something that I, nor for that matter, does the scientific community readily understand. There is limited research and quantification on how cannabis affects our bodies. I feel that as a physician, this is a clarion call to determine efficacy. However, the current industry is highly interested in a profit motive. Constellation Brands, the owner of Corona, bought a 38% stake in cannabis growth for $4 billion, the world's largest cannabis company. Altria, the owner of Marlboro Cigarettes, bought 45% of Kronos for $1.8 billion. Hence, we have alcohol and tobacco poised to control this industry. Both of these industries have deceived the public consistently and continue to market to an underage clientele. As a city, we need to avoid the lure of established RMDs, but also be cognizant of what it takes to build a company in the technology, education, and health center that Cambridge has become. Not only do we need to empower those victimized by the opiate epidemic through social equity and economic empowerment programs, we need to raise up hardworking and minority entre entrepreneurs. Hence, I support the moratorium on larger RMDs in favor of minority EE and social equity applicants. I propose also that special dispensation be made for co-op applicants so that multiple people may rise and benefit in, this, in whatever this industry can bring. And finally, I propose that folks like myself, physicians and researchers, be allowed to make cannabis ubiquitous, like ibuprofen, something you can walk into the store and get for your headache, by empowering us to open up labs, manufacturing facilities, and adult use stores. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to working with the City of Cambridge as we continue to be a beacon for the rest of the world.
Thank you very much. Next up is Nicole. For a much greater greater leg up because these RMDs have essentially had all the resources they need to get through this process once they can do it again and get, just capture the market. Um, as I mentioned at my last testimony, I do work with social uh, social equity and economic empowerment applicants, helping them um, navigate the licensing process. Um, I reached out to uh, just, just personally reached out to a lot of applicants who are, who are certified uh, economic empowerment and social equity, and asked them about how much it actually costs to build uh, build out a cannabis dispensary. Um, and the majority of responses that I got were between the areas of 1.5 million all the way to five million dollars. Um, I believe there's a document that was provided by an economic empowerment applicant who is working with um, Northeastern professor and their total capital requirement is $2.4 million. So um, for us to say that the $5 million is sufficient to take care and really bolster opportunities for all of the um, economic empowerment applicants who want to apply in Cambridge, I don't think that that's sufficient at all. Um, and as I, as I mentioned in the last testimony, equity is really about supporting everybody. Um, including the people at the bottom, not just the people at the top who were able to make it to the point where they could, you know, um, start paying for rent in, in Cambridge. We, we can't just think about um, allowing them to go forward because they were at the top. We have to think about the people at the bottom too, which is why we need a very substantial fund in order to make sure that these EEs are successful. And if not, then we need to stand with uh, the moratorium. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else who has not yet spoken that would please introduce yourself and you have three minutes. Um, my name is Ahmed Lawal. I'm an EE applicant out of Randolph, Massachusetts. Um, I just have a, a few thoughts on what's going on here in Cambridge. Um, 100 years from now, people will look back and say, wow, I can't believe cannabis was illegal. A hundred years from now, folks will look back and say either Cambridge City Council set the president for what a real equitable playing field looks like when it comes to the cannabis industry, or they'll say they had an opportunity to do a right for all people, regardless of their color, regardless of their sex, regardless of their religion, regardless of finances, and they blew it. In the past year or so, I've seen or read of people switching careers and jumping headfirst into the legal cannabis market and it's a sign of changing times that the negative stigma on cannabis is gradually disappearing. And this makes me happy. And I'm sure a lot of other people in this chamber happy as well. That being, sa that being said, I implore the council not to forget the years that have vanished, never to be returned from the lives of those negatively affected by the misguided war on cannabis. To consider those still in prison for something that has been legalized or is, in, or is in some stage of reform throughout the country and the world. I'm here to represent the little guy, the mom, the pop, the hobbyist, the enthusiast that was lucky enough to submit an EE application in time to the CCC. That's in line knowing all I need is a solid chance towards long-term success, not a well-meaning handout for short-term gain. I understand the RMDs aren't responsible for the war on cannabis, but as a as of now, it seems like they're the only ones legally benefiting from it. I understand that they shouldn't be vilified, that they're just trying to do business. EE applicants, the little guys, we're just trying to do business as well. The Zondervan Siddiqui Amendment, speaking as an EE applicant, I believe is going 
in the right direction to help us do just that. To establish an equitable starting point for all EE applicants with a fair contribution from RMBs financially and socially. The Zonavan Siddiqui Amendment puts more thought into actual startup costs required, not the quarter of a mil, I believe, is proposed by the Simmons Amendment. The Zonavan Siddiqui Amendment addresses the social responsibilities of all retail dispensaries to give back in some shape or form to the community of Cambridge, setting a blueprint for other communities to follow. The Zonavan Siddiqui Amendment is a thought-out approach to how David can stand in front of Goliath and they both walk away stoned and happy. A hundred years from now, my hope is history will show Cambridge got it right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else who has not yet spoken and would like to speak? Introduce yourself, please, and you have three minutes. Hi, Chris Hunter. Uh, thank you again for the opportunity to speak in front of you uh, on this proposed amendment and the proposed ordinance. Uh, and again, it's my pleasure to speak in support of the economic empowerment applicants. Uh, so speaking first on Councillor Simmons' proposal, uh, it's insufficient. It effectively creates a scenario in which economic empowerment applicants are set up for failure. Uh, and the, the evidence of that is provided within sort of the, the budget that was attached by Councillor Zondavan and Councillor Siddiqui uh, about the requirements for opening a cannabis retail operation. Uh, so in particular, those conditions uh, are that it leads to insufficient cash flow generation due to lack of access to inventory, due to lack of access to capital. Uh, so in particular, what I would highlight is that what a $250,000 cash injection does is undercapitalizes a business and leads to it entering into a vicious cash flow cycle that results in its failure. Now, I, I think the, the key points to, to be focusing on for the content of the amendments are ultimately what what is what is defining priority. And priority in this case is sort of quota, ordering, and as I mentioned the last time I was here, location control. That what is being divvied up is access to prime retail locations. So at a baseline, what any amendment requires is one-to-one -one at least to ensure that economic empowerment applicants have access to prime retail locations. As a result of that access, those applicants, those licenses acquire access to capital that is a portion of avoiding a vicious cash flow cycle scenario. So again, what I would highlight is sort of the key points is that to make any proposal successful, what is required is one, a quota that, you know, in the case of the Zondervan and Siddiqui Amendment is at least as many applicants that are economic empowerment. There are, that, that's, that's a one-to-one -one ratio. In addition, we're trying to deal with, as has been highlighted, is the highest barrier to entry for economic empowerment applicants and access to capital component, which again, can be solved through the creation of a fund I think that's a one option. I think as proposed, it is the best option because it requires effectively equity in the distribution of profits. Uh, but again, as a baseline, start with the distribution of licenses and move upward from there. I, I would just like to commend everyone for their hard work on developing the right answer to the question. But I, I, 
Thank, I'm out thank of time. you very much. Is there anyone else who has not yet spoken and who would like to speak? Please introduce yourself and you have three minutes. How's everybody doing? Um, Taba Moses, I grew up in the port. Um, I'd like to deal with some facts. So I just saw two lawyers come up here and one said that they support the, the Siddiqui, um, not the Siddiqui Amendment, but Denise Simmons Amendment, and then he threatened to sue us. Sean Hope, another lawyer, came up here. What he didn't say is that he is the lawyer for Sarah Naturals. Since Sarah Naturals has become a medical RMD, they've sold their company to CSAC. We all knew that. Since the last meeting that we were at, they are now AYR. They're the biggest cannabis trading company operating on the Neo-Canadian Exchange. I have documentation here, which is a quote from the person who runs the Canadian Stock Exchange, commending them for being the first $1 billion company on their exchange. So these lawyers are sitting here and they're saying that they're representing Michael Dundas and everybody else. Who are they really representing? The CEO of Sarah Naturals is now John Sandelman. He was the highest executive, one of the highest at Bank of America. The COO of AYR, who controls Sarah Naturals, is Jennifer Drake, Goldman Sachs. The commercial chief officer for Sarah Naturals, controlled by AYR, is Chris Bugravi. He ran Budweiser and Coca-Cola. These are the people that you guys are trying to give an advantage to. And then if you look at this, the Denise Simmons Amendment, I broke it down. They said that in order to run a bud tender store and a retail store, you can run it with six people. You can't run a coffee shop with six people. You need at least 12 people. I put some stuff in her budget without even overlooking it, and I immediately got to $2 million. So I think it's time people look in the mirror and decide if they're going to vote for their friends or if they're going to vote for their community. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else? Your mic's not on. The it's mic green. Is on. green button. To it. Can you hear me? Got it. So, all right. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Council. My name is Marcus Johnson Smith. I uh, grew up in West Cambridge in Cochran Park. Now live on Reed Street. Um, I want to ground us in a little bit of reality and my reality. Um, you know, I own my business 100% with my best friend, who's Cape Verdean American, uh, who we both grew up in, in uh, West Cambridge. We have a lease we've been paying uh, on a property uh, at 701, 703 Mott Auburn Street for the last seven, eight months now. Um, as I ground myself in my reality, uh, in my circumstances today, um, you know, su financial support in any capacity, I think, would be helpful um, to help me uh, maintain my equity in my business. And so, um, you know, I'm really in support of any amendment seriously that helps uh my circumstances because i think i represent um you know what the city wants in a social uh, equity effort um but i also think it represents uh the circumstances of folks like myself who are ee applicants who have been paying rent on a property um and need some sort of relief um so thank you for your time i appreciate it thank you for all your work too thank you very much is there anyone else who has not spoken yet who would like to speak
if you could introduce yourself and you have three minutes. All right. Um, my name is Suzanne Wong. I live in East Cambridge. Um, I've been going to a lot of meetings about the Leggett McCall uh, courthouse construction fiasco that's going on in East Cambridge. Um, and one of the conditions of that situation is that we have a city-owned um, garage um, that has retail space on the first floor um, that we want to uh, lease exclusively to the property that's going to get built in that area. And I'm wondering how many other city-owned properties exist where they could then lease that out to an EE applicant. Because we own that. The city owns it. Why wouldn't we do that for them? We can help them. We can help subsidize whatever their costs would be on that property because the city owns it. Maybe it's not allowed. But if we're going to fight about changing laws and changing rules and making different policies to benefit other people, why not these applicants? Um, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else who has not spoken yet who would like to speak? Every day, Their Life's here to help you live a higher quality of life. The massive product selection at their Wareham dispensary features superior quality flour, vapes, edibles, and more, all derived from locally sourced growers. Experience unparalleled customer service from experts whose knowledge will help you become smarter about your options. Located 10 minutes from the Bourne Bridge, make Their Life Wareham your last stop on the way to the Cape. Reserve an order through Leafly, and you'll be on your way in no time. Open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The good vibes start at Verilife.